All right, on this week's episode of the We've Seen That Podcast, we watched Edge of Tomorrow. I'm Anthony. And I'm Jim. Cut the music, and if this sounds a little different, it's because Anthony, that's me, I'm running the show, um, Scott seems to be on his hiatus still uh, on vacation, so it's just going to be Jim and I. I think we can handle it, Jim. Right, I think so too, and honestly, if I had lost that bad at trivia, I'd need to take a week off too. <laughs> that's right, I'm going to be patting myself on the shoulder because he's not here to do it, <laughs> congratulating me on another dominating victory. <laughs> Well, not to rip on him too much. We have plenty of that coming up for sure. Um, We'll just dive right into what we're watching. Jim, what did you watch? So, throwing it back a little bit, 18 years old, we watched uh, Scooby-Doo from 2002. This is the first live-action one with Freddie Prinze Jr., Sarah Michelle Gellar, and Matthew Lillard. I honestly have no idea who the hell voices Scooby-Doo, and unfortunately, I don't know the actress for Velma off the top of my head but honestly this movie holds up really well you know it's just fun you finally get to see Scooby-Doo in live action you know and they go solve something which is not actually like the normal mystery right because spoilers it ends up being like uh scrappy and it's actually like something uh, uh supernatural right so it's not just yep. a man in a mask uh, but I give it a 5 out of 10. I, I enjoyed my rewatch. There's obviously CGI issues abound, and like the story is not amazing, but it feels really campy and fun, and that's why I gave it a 5. Yeah, for sure. I remember when this movie first came out, and I remember being like pretty excited because, what, 2002, I would have been like 8 years old? Yeah, I was 8 too. So, I mean, still plenty... You know, the cartoon is fresh in my mind at that time, and I remember being so excited to go see it at the theaters. And I have not seen it in a couple years, so I'd be interested to kind of see where I feel now on how well it holds up. But I I agree. I mean, I would probably fall somewhere in the realm of a five or a six, I bet, if I watched it now, just because of the nostalgia. And um, I thought the characters were portrayed pretty well, you know, versus you know, their cartoon counterparts. Um, like I said, I... Or go ahead, if you had something to add there. No, no, I agree. I think the characters were done great. I do have a name for Velma. It's Linda Cardellini. Um, And I'll be honest, I'm not sure I've seen her in anything else that I know (laughs) offhand. Um, But I like, in this one, they start with the team breaking up. Like, they solve a mystery right off the bat. The entire team breaks up. And so rather than being an origin story, this is a getting-back-together story, which I think, to some degree did a better job than just saying like this is how they came together you know so it 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 went in on the fact that you knew these characters and like i don't need to be told who scooby-doo is and that's part of what bolstered its score a little bit because i expected to give it less than a five like much lower i couldn't agree with that anymore because like 
a lot of times if a live action movie is made of like a cartoon, it's almost like they're trying to reset. But we've known these characters for however many odd years now already. It's like... I think they debuted in the late 60s, early 70s. Wow, yeah. So it's kind of refreshing almost to have it done this way where you just jump right in. And and if I can remember, aren't they like all really famous or somewhat? You know, they have like a following. Right, like Fred's written a book. He's signing autographs at one point. Um, I don't know that any of the rest of them are super famous. I think Velma was like working for NASA or something. So like she got a quote-unquote other successful career right. and not much is given about Daphne. Scooby and Shaggy are eating burgers at the beach. That's <laughs> that's what they've done in the the short time hop between break up and get back together. Right. And I wouldn't expect anything less out of them too for <laughs> sure. <laughs> Eggplant burgers if I'm remembering right, which oh does not sound appealing. No, it does not. Oh, Anyways, man. what are you watching, dude? Well, over the past week I've just kind of been slacking off kind of recovering from the old turkey day caught up on all of the newest episodes of the mandalorian so we're recording this on a friday so there's a new episode today i haven't watched yet um but i got me thinking i'm gonna want to jump in i think to star wars the clone wars the animated series i i hear really good things yes that's all i've ever heard um obviously i'm a huge star wars fan you know i differ on some sort of parts of which trilogies are the best but we'll that's a argument for a different time um but the clone wars i've never heard anything bad about them necessarily all of the my friends at work that have watched it have have talked very highly of it um one of the main the main creator of the clone wars actually directed this not this newest episode i just mentioned but the last one that i watched um of the mandalorian and it was really good so i'm excited to kind of see what he's done with this uh animated series that everyone talks so much about um and i'm hoping it kind of pieces together some parts of the story that i might be behind you know in the mandalorian that i haven't really noticed or i'm not too well informed on and i think this will kind of help me piece together the giant star wars universe that we've come to know and love right and what i hear is the clone wars does a really good job on piecing together some of these random characters and why they have relationships with some of what we, uh, some of the characters that we know from back in the Clone Wars, i.e., Obi Wan and Anakin themselves, and maybe a little bit of Yoda, if I'm not mistaken. So, like, that to me is what could end up drawing me into Mandalorian. If I watch the Clone Wars, which I mean to do, but still haven't, <laughs> I, I got a lot of content, man. Right. <laughs> um, mean to watch it but like if i watch that and love it that is what could get me through first season of mandalorian and into second season because they're starting to bring some of those characters in and that's what i wanted like i said to tie into a bigger universe yeah and it's like watching attack of the clones and then jumping to whatever what's the third one revenge of the sith i think right um you know we kind of get this impression that obi-wan and anakin have done all these crazy adventures together but we never really got to see it so much so I think the Clone Wars will offer a little look into that, you know, all the things they did, you know, between Attack of the Clones and by the time, obviously, Anakin turns to the dark side. So all that stuff I'm pretty interested in, so I'm excited to get to get involved with that. So that should take me a while. I think there's, like, I think the last season seriously just ended, like, last year or early this year, I think. Well, like, they had it originally on, like, Cartoon Network or something, I think. Then it was off-air for, like... 15 years or something and then they came back with a new season for disney plus gotcha so it's not like it was running that whole time right right 
But I think even with that, there is probably, I don't know, There's I think there's like eight seasons at least, I think, I saw. Oh, it could Something be. Like I, didn't, I didn't think it was that many, but I don't know. Maybe so. not. But anyway, I that's just kind of what I've been planning on doing and i think that'll take up a lot of my time but hopefully i can fit something in here for what we're watching next week with a little more oomph to it but um anyway we don't really have a hype horn <laughs> this yeah, week we woo, 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 woo. that's gonna be really embarrassing that's, that was your hype horn folks that was it that was it that was not jim doing his best impression of the hype horn that was the actual horn itself um it's commitment to the craft that's, right. that's what it is <laughs> um jim we're supposed to do some shout outs but as a guest, we never agreed to anything. Yeah, we, we read your emails and we love them. So please keep sending them. But Scott promised you guys email shout outs. So we're going to hold him to that. And Scott will be doing shout outs next week. And we'd want to save him. You know, he's the best at it. We'll give him that. And then we'll totally have something for you guys next week for sure once he rejoins us. Um, like Jim said, we we enjoy all the emails. We appreciate all of the support for sure. Um, but yeah, Scott will... Scott will be back, and we're we're excited for him to see what he comes up with for your two or three minutes, whatever he decides. He'll probably limit it to like 30 seconds now since he thinks it's getting so tough on him, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he's not holding up under pressure very well, and he's always asking how much time is left. I can't believe it. But anyways, we'll dive into hype here. The first thing we got is there's going to be a new Predator movie coming out next year, I believe. It is going to completely ignore the train wreck that was the 2018 Predator movie. Did you end up seeing that one? I have seen it. It's not good. Oh, it's so bad. It, it And honestly, I think the most offensive thing is that it kind of makes the whole Predator genre, like, boring. If there was one thing that was said about, was it the first three or the first two? I think it's the first two only. They're super exciting, right? And the second one is, like, bad in its way, but it's Danny Glover acting against a predator. And it, right. it's hilarious and fun, right? For and this sure. one didn't have any of that. No, and it and it's unfortunate because the director is Shane Black, who starred... He was one of the soldiers in the original Predator with Arnold. So you'd think if anyone kind of had a feel for what, you know, the Predator franchise at least started out as or what kind of fans were hoping for, it might have been that. And it just it just didn't hit. It was too too much unnecessary comedy, I think. As much as I love... And some um, of the bad comedy, too. Like, just right. not super funny. Yeah, and it's like, as much as I love Predator, it's it's just not meant to be you know kind of that slap knee slap comedy thrown in there um i prefer it to be intense you know i i'm a sucker for those you know those late 70s or 80s you know action movies and i know they can't always kind of re reignite that old flame but it's unfortunate that it hit that it missed so bad um so i'm excited i actually did not know that this was happening until i saw your note here so i'm excited to hear if you know any more about this the only other thing that I know is that it's rumored to be set during the Civil War. And I'm not sure that's a good thing. <laughs> I am 100% sure I will be streaming this or in the theater for it if it's practicable. Right. But I think having the Predator not be in a modern setting is a mistake. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we kind of got a glimpse in the second one at the end mm-hmm. when he Danny Glover like somehow finds his way out of the ship. And we've known these things have been around for hundreds of years, like, on Earth multiple times, and they had, like, relics from, like, the Civil War Right, because in AVP, there was, like, 
of like Mayan structure or something yes. where they were worshiping them, like prehistoric. Right, right. So it's clear it would make sense in the terms of the things we've seen already, but again, <laughs> who knows if the Civil War might be the you know the the right setting for for a predator movie? You know that'll remain to be seen. Um, well, and the thing is, like, you want to see humans go toe to toe with the predator. If you set it in single shot musket time, I think it's gonna land very poorly because in theory the predator should just walk all over everybody right and that's the thing is like will they go sort of the similar like original route where it's just one and maybe like a group of like you know badass a buttload of civil war soldiers right or right. right and they kind of just you know try to take it on you know like a 10v1 sort of thing to try to even the odds but i agree it's like they don't have the firepower to try to compete with because as far as we know, it's not like the Predator is going to have any less advancements on any his less technology. Tech, right. Yeah, right. So I agree. It, it just it could be weird, but hopefully, um, the right decision I think was distancing. To throw them. out the twenty eighteen. Yes, movie. exactly. <laughs> I think that's there. That's the first step that they made, and I think it's the right one for sure. All right. Um, this next bit of hype, I have mixed feelings about. For sure. I um, actually think this is really good. So uh, I'll, I'll let you read it out. Go for yeah, it. Yeah, it's fine. Um, Warner Brothers is set to release all their 2021 movie slate on HBO Max the same day as it hits theaters. I actually have like a live update to this too. Sure. We had previously talked a little bit about how AMC got cranky with Universal for sending Trolls World Tour to streaming. They have come out and they are very upset with Warner Brothers right oh, now I too. I can imagine. Well, yeah, as a company that faces bankruptcy, you know they're they're basically just throwing a tantrum that no one really has to listen to. Right, and I get that. I'm a sucker for the theater, but at the same time, it's like it's been going this way for years now already, pre-pandemic. I mean, oh yeah, you know the convenience of home movie watching was growing with or without you know lockdowns. So it's. It is what it is, I guess. You know, the nice thing is that, I don't know if you saw or not, I think that these movies, they're being released on the day they hit theaters, and I think they're only going to be on HBO Max for, like, 30 days. Yeah, then think, they'll still continue in theaters, assuming right. people are still paying to see them. Right, right. So it's not like they're hitting the streaming service forever and going to be on there the whole time. It's kind of like a little window, but 30 days is plenty of time to pound through some brand new movies that you don't have to risk or waste time going to the theater for so agreed there were like 20 movies total that are coming out next year i think maybe that's a little aggressive maybe closer to 15 but some of the highlights were uh the new dune tom and jerry godzilla versus kong space jam 2 matrix 4 and suicide squad and the reason i'm so excited about this is i think four of those movies are going to be trash <laughs> and now I don't have to pay anything extra to see them. I think the only two good ones are going to end up being um, Dune and Matrix 4. And Matrix and that, 4, I think, is questionable. Yeah, you're right, exactly. And that's a good point. Like, I was going to say, like, a movie, and maybe just because I'm so invested by now, Godzilla vs. Kong might be one. But, like, Dune for sure, and, like, that, a movie like that I'd probably still go see in theater. But you break up a good point, like, a lot of these other movies, I might not want to waste my time, but the fact that they'll be available on HBO Max for, as far as I know, no extra charge, I think... Yeah, exactly. They haven't announced doing anything like Disney Plus did with Mulan. Right. 
So I think that would make me more apt to watch them for sure. And I and for that I'm I'm happy. But like I said, I I'm a sucker for the theater, and I would just hate to see it go away completely. Which I don't know if it could ever go away completely, right? I don't think so because I think the profit margin at the theater versus on streaming is much higher when you talk per view. Right. Right? Because, like, what's tough in my mind on streaming is to quantify how me paying $15 a month translates into the, like, $200 of content I watch a month on HBO. And $200 is probably high, right? But, like, I, I only pay $15 a month for it because I think I get more than $15 a month out of it. Otherwise, I wouldn't pay for it. So what baffle what baffles me is the profitability on that when like you talk about something like Godzilla versus Kong it's probably going to have a budget of 400 to 500 million with all the CGI that's going to be required right and how do they rationalize getting that money back exactly so yeah i mean you know unless they do some sort of you know extra charge you're exactly right it's like i can't imagine they'd be Unless, you know, HBO Max is paying a shit ton of money to get this. Like, I don't well, know. Well, Warner Brothers owns HBO Max. Well, okay. So, well, like, they're they're like a parent corporation. Right. Well, that makes a lot more sense then. But, like like you said, though, it's like you can't imagine the people just streaming this from their house is going to make up for, like, the, you know, the 10 to $15 ticket sales, you know, at the theater. But I get it. I mean... It costs a lot of money probably to put a movie in theater, and if you only can have twenty-five to fifty percent, you know, capacity, it, you know, we saw it with uh, Tenet. You know, they weren't great numbers, and I think that yeah, was like, like I thought I read something that Freaky did better its opening weekend than Tenet. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. Just because you know, Tenet was at, I'll say, the height of COVID awareness and the height of that surge of uh, sickness, whereas Freaky came out. And people are bored with being at home now, so they'll go out and do whatever. Right. And that now, uh, that's why it got so many ticket sales, even though, obviously, it's not as good of a movie. Exactly. Um, I mean, to most people, I'll say. Right, right. No, I agree. It's going to be tough. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens here through the end of 2020 and then, obviously, into next year, for sure, on how, what the vaccines do and what, you know, what businesses do as they kind of open back up. But, yeah, tough tough hit for theaters for sure yeah i i don't want to see the theaters go away but like i said if i'm gonna watch a trashy movie or like crappy movie i'd rather just watch it at home right it'll save me five dollars versus buying my twenty dollar ticket you know yeah exactly all right folks now the moment you guys wait for every week it's our movie movie review of edge of tomorrow the 2014 film directed by doug lehman starring tom cruise and emily blunt um a sci-fi thriller i guess i don't know i'd say so i mean it's certainly an action movie uh i'll give you our little imdb synopsis quick since i failed last week but anyways (laughs) making up for it now a soldier fighting aliens gets to relive the same day over and over again the day restarting every time he dies which incredibly short synopsis but one of the most accurate we've had so far I'd say so. And interesting enough, like if I was, I had seen this movie a few times before we had done this rewatch. Um, so I kind of obviously knew going into it, but like having s- maybe not seeing seeing it for the first time, and like looking at a synopsis like this, I'd be pretty hooked. I mean, I get Groundhog Day vibes immediately from that, which 
spoiler alert, we'll talk about a lot, I think, in this in this review. But yeah, I mean, that's basically the movie in a nutshell. Right. I, I didn't read a synopsis before going into it, and I had no idea it was an alien movie. Honestly, because thinking back to like when this movie came out, what was it, 2014? I don't remember seeing a single alien in trailers, which I think is probably one of the best decisions they can make with an alien movie. Yeah, for sure. Because like I was just drawn in by the fact that it's relatively obvious based upon the synopsis and the trailers that like this guy, Tom Cruise, comes back to life each day after fighting in some war. And I'm like, some sort of weird technology moving forward in the world and like... It, it really uh, diverted my expectations. It, I did not get the movie I had originally expected because I expected it to be much more grounded in reality as opposed to sci-fi. But I'm a bigger fan of sci-fi than I am reality. <laughs> right. Um, a quick note, um, little fun little fact. I don't know how much of this was actually not going to say true because it part kind of went into like the marketing campaign of this, but... If you notice, it says live, die, repeat, like on the poster and everything. Like, I think that was the original title of the movie. Yeah. And that like threw a lot of people off. Like, it's kind of a so-so title. Like, if you just see that, it's like, it doesn't really flow too well. So I think they made the right choice of switching it to Edge of Tomorrow. Right. And, and I they think both make sense. But I think right. Edge of Tomorrow makes it feel a little bit more high class than live die repeat you know what i mean because uh live die repeat gives me big uh live free or die hard uh oh, yes. vibes yes. and that movie was no good on a franchise that was top notch previously you know right um also fun fact it's in the works to make a second one of these currently being called really live die repeat two. <laughs> oh no <laughs> Well, see, that's uh, we'll get into it. we'll get into the way the movie ends, and that was. Now you might have just ruined something for me. <laughs> oh, way to go, Jim. I didn't ruin shit because that Hollywood was part of my pros pros of the movies, and I guess it is Hollywood. They just can't keep a good thing, you know. They just can't do it. But anyway, I digress. Jumping into kind of the opening scene, we're just hit with like a bunch of broken up like news flashes on the TVs. Um, basically, we are introduced to these mimics. And now we haven't seen these yet in any of these footage um, shots on the TV, but they seem to be some sort of alien that has arrived to Earth is what we've gotten. And they kind of started to attack and um, take over most of the world. And there's certain fronts now that have been established, mostly... Europe's setting is where we are for this movie um, that kind of are held up to defend what's left of humanity. Yeah, they hold basically all of Europe. Um, And we'll get into one of the things that was confusing for me at first, but was quickly explained away um, in a moment. But what I didn't like about this news feed or like all this news flashing is like they had shots of Tom Cruise because he's a military expert. and we'll find out actually more of a marketing guy than he is a military guy talking on screen. And like uh, the guy who plays Mad-Eye Moody is a general in Britain. And like all of those scenes are super crisp and in HD. And then they have shots of real politicians. Like I believe Hillary Clinton has a scene in this um, and yep. a couple others. And they're super grainy and terrible. And I'm like, just completely take me out of it. I understand these are real videos of real people, but like, man that made it feel like not good like it just looked bad 
Right. It's like, why couldn't you just keep the same movie quality throughout the entire shot? Yeah, right. And, like, <laughs> I don't want... When I go to a movie, I generally go for escapism. I'm escaping to another world, e- even sometimes a shitty world like this. But, like, I don't want to see real people in it. Like, Tom Cruise is not Tom Cruise in this. He's William Cage, you know? So right. that's what I want him to be. I don't want to see real-life politicians, necessarily. I feel you, for sure. Well, so, yes, yeah, so we are introduced to Tom Cruise, who plays Cage. Um, and as Jim mentioned, he is somewhat of a military spokesperson. Um, more of that than a soldier, which we are quickly, quickly realize. Um but yes, he's trying to spread hope of a victory that doesn't seem to really be there, but they have kind of they've established that they have these new um new suits. I can't remember what they call, they call them, them, but jackets. they kind of turn jackets. And they they kind of you put one on and you become basically a super soldier. You know, you're stronger. They have they're equipped with like machine guns and grenade launchers and all sorts of stuff. It's kind of um, like um have you ever played Titanfall? Yes, it's like I those, but like smaller and not as cool, and like almost no armor whatsoever. Like he, <laughs> they leave people my, very exposed. One of my biggest knocks on it was like, yeah, these suits are cool, but like your entire like torso, except for Gibble, I think the the chubbier guy we get introduced later has like an armor suit come down. But yeah, your entire torso is like wide open. And like basically, your just arms have like the they, the robotic they've got little like spines right that come down to your uh, machine guns. Yes, but like again, there's not even sleeves. Like cover me if you're not going to cover my vital organs. Make sure I'm not going to get dismembered <laughs> too bad. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but anyway, Cage goes and meets with the general, which is played by Brennan Gleason. Um, he is basically told that he is going to be going to the front line to kind of with a film crew to promote, you know, the new invasion um on the beaches of Normandy, of, I believe is where it's going to be. Right, the final the sort of the final blow to the mimics um and Cruz Cage right away is like, "Sir, I am no soldier. I am just a kind of figurehead for the for the army and I First off, he talks about how he is working for the United States military, but then um, the general quickly reminds him that he has been given He's been all orders to be. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, so, yeah, he's been told that he's going to be with the front wave. He's supposed There's supposed to be little resistance is kind of what the general is telling him to kind of ease his pain, for so to speak. So, yeah, right away we kind of get that Cage is not – not a fighter right he even goes so far as to say like uh to the general you know who are people gonna blame for all the dead people on this new invasion you know because i'm an advertiser i can make sure they blame you and so the general is like okay fine i you you don't have to go cage is like i'm glad we came to an understanding and walks out into the lobby of uh this office general follows him and says to some mps arrest this man (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that's the surprise that's on his face is first, so good it is because that's what i said made my first note i said we're eight minutes into the movie and we find we already see tom cruise running yeah because that just is a staple of any tom cruise movie is him hauling ass at least like 10 times throughout the movie i, I wrote on here he gets tased and knocked the fuck out <laughs> <laughs> oh man it's great but then he wakes up and this is 
something we'll be getting very used to um, in this movie as if we haven't talked about it enough already. But he wakes up sort of like on this military base and he's got handcuffs on, um, surrounded by troops kind of walking around. And we get, we get this quote from one of these other sergeants. He just gets up and he says, on your feet, maggot. <laughs> and Tom Cruise or Cage is just so confused because he's like, well, I'm a... I'm a major, you know, or at least he was. You know, yeah, like he claims to outrank the guy that's yelling at him. Right, right. So he's been totally confused, and it's weird. If you just got tased, they must have, like, sedated him some other way. I would have to think so, because, like, there are people who are still conscious after being tased. I've watched plenty of videos right. of it happening online, and it's funny, you know? So, it is. so But exactly. they're generally awake, and they're generally unhappy. Mm-hmm. And, like, so he just wakes up. You know, totally confused, hasn't no memory of how he got to this base at all. Um, but anyway, after he's insulted by this one sergeant telling him to get on his feet, um, we are introduced to Sergeant Farrell, played by Bill Paxton, who right away kind of plays into Cage's claims that he might be of higher rank and doesn't necessarily belong with the rest of these soldiers. Mm-hmm. Did you kind of get that feeling? Yeah, he's playing along from the get-go, but what we find out, what, a couple minutes later? Um, right. Is that Farrell is holding a letter from the general that says, uh, Cage is a deserter, he's a private only, and he's going to say anything possible in order to try to get out of shipping out to France in the morning. So Farrell, after hearing... Cage's story, which lines up to exactly what someone would do, is they're going to try and say there's exactly. been a terrible mistake. Cage is like, oh, I have a letter that says you do exactly that. We're not going to let you do anything. Right. So it's almost like he talks himself into the perfect corner. Right. Exactly. Without even trying. Um, but that's what I love. One of my favorite scenes now, we get introduced to J-Squad. Um, so Sergeant Farrell leads Cage into this new um into j squad where he will now be with the rest of his privates um and so (laughs) yeah no pun intended i'm a child (laughs) um so j squad's in there gambling and all sorts of things and Farrell walks in and they try to hide the cards under the table or under the bed sheet sorry and sergeant Farrell kind of notices him right away and we kind of get the sense that he definitely runs a tight ship and he ain't going to take no shit from the rest of his, you know, soldiers underneath him. He makes them eat the cards. Quite a strange scene. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, he, it played the part of making it seem like Sergeant Farrell got some power in his hands and it went right to his head. Also, it appears like in my mind, like J-Squad, after you meet them here, they seem like the the misfits that no one really wanted to take on. No one wants to be responsible for the group of idiots. And I felt that was very stereotypical for this kind of a movie is that, you know, our star is going to get paired with a band of misfits. Right. Exactly. And for the sake of time, you know, unfortunately I going to just refer to most of these people as just J squad members Um, because they don't get any characterization. they, They don't. And they hardly have any screen time, you know, it's kind of tough to get even remotely like related to him at all, which I think does hurt the movie a little bit, even though it is what it is. You know, we'll, we'll get into kind of what the movie's about here shortly. But um, anyway, introduced to J-Squad, and he tries to tell them about how he's not supposed to be there like he was trying to tell Farrell, and we end up 
kind of jumping to the scene now where they're where they're suiting up in these in these suits to go to war. Um, and Cage starts asking all sorts of questions like, "How does this work? How do I turn you know, off I've never the been safety?" In one of these. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and the guy the guy just comes with some smart ass remark like, "You know, I don't." Want I thought he said there was no safety. Yeah, something like that, and it's just. You can tell Cage just is totally freaked out. Um, but anyway, we jump to these, um, God, what are these ships, I guess. Um, I just call them hel- helicopters, right? They're, they're fancy yeah. futuristic helicopters with like four rotors. And therefore, rotors. I called them helicopters because it was much easier. <laughs> That's what we refer to them then, Jim, for the rest of the pod. Um, but yeah, they're like strapped in and the floors come out. So like... They don't actually have like a place to stand. They're almost just lined in there. If I had to explain it, it's almost like the droids in Star Wars. It's exactly They're kinda, like, like that. They're hang- yeah, hung like, by their shoulders. Right. And strapped in so like whenever they're ready to be deployed, they just have to like drop, you know, through the floor. Um but anyway, we're flying along and half of the ship just seems to be ripped apart as they're flying there and this is when, like, some really cool shots, actually. Um, they're kind of, like, flying around. There's shit falling out of this plane, the helicopter. And we finally get the scene where Cage finally ejects, and he lands, like, face first, flat on the ground in the water. Yeah, yeah, he had some major landing issues. But I think it was due to him, like, he, do- he didn't understand how to release himself. Um, so he got blown out of the helicopter by the explosion itself, right? So it's like he couldn't really, uh, what am I trying to say? He couldn't right himself. That's what I'm trying to get out. And so lands face down. And very shortly after this, uh, we, he, he catches sight of this character called the Angel of Verdun. Um, also Rita. Also, the Full Metal Bitch on occasion, uh, played great by name. Emily Blunt. I thought that was pretty great too. But so she's supposed to be some sort of like special operative, like fancy, really good soldier, is what we understand. And he he saves her from one of the mimics, right? Or am I getting too far th- ahead? Like one jump too far. I think he sees her die this time around. But this is when we were first introduced to the mimics which i wrote down like the first time is like i don't know how to explain these things they look like a ball of tentacles with like electricity that's pulsating exactly out what of they them. look like yeah it, <laughs> right it, it, it looks like yeah like a ball of tentacles or snakes and they have these kind of just hanging open mouths and like two little eyes and i don't know right. i don't understand kind of like Exactly, and they can kind of like whip their appendages, and they move in sort of this chaotic, you know, very much so. We, yeah, not like any rhythm to where they would be. They're kind of just jumpy. It almost looks like they glitch on screen, but I think it's obviously done intentionally, just because they're so erratic in their movements. Um, and there's a fuck yeah, lot of shaky cam, like a lot, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> very hard on the eyes. Um, but yeah, like you said, we're introduced to Emily Blunt, and this is where, like, the first time I'm watching this, it's like, oh, sweet, she's kicking ass, she's got a badass, like, sword, and she's just slicing these things in half, and then all of a sudden she just gets shot in the back. Right. He then reconnects <laughs> with his squad, right? And they're in they're in a trench on the beach, 
because there was just a random trench on the beach already. Um, and one of the mimics actually burrows up from underneath them. And I, this is his first kill. He gets one of those. And most of the mimics are like gray tentacles with orange glow, right? But then yep. uh, Cage sees us, another one, much, much larger, and it's blue glowing instead. So he doesn't think he can take it out because he only barely knows how to shoot his gun. So he grabs a claymore, lays down, and then when the blue guy comes over to him, uh, the claymore blows and Cage dies. Right. End of movie, right? <laughs> so, so far we have the two leads just getting killed in the first 20 minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. And, like, the thing about Cage's death, the explosion obviously projects outward into the into the mimic, the blue one, and it... It shows him with just a brutal death, like the blood and the molten like guts just falling on his face, kind of just like melting his face away. Pretty nasty stuff. But um, but after that, Cage wakes up. Yeah, back at the back at the docks at the Heathrow docks, and the guy yelling at him that he's a maggot and to get up again. So now we're clearly like thinking i don't know the first time if i thought they were going to go full blown this direction i thought maybe (laughs) it was like a dream or something and like something else would happen but um but yeah the more and more this scene goes on we're introduced to feral again and everything is happening word for word as it did the first time. yeah exactly uh so everyone other than cage is doing the exact same over exact same thing over again Whereas Cage is trying now to explain to Farrell, like, I was just here. We're doing this over again. And my thought at this point was, like, this is still some sort of technological advancement of the military. And feeling big Matrix vibes, like, this is a simulation. It's a program. They're playing it through and tracking a specific soldier for some reason. And once he dies, they reset the simulation back to the beginning again. And it's, like, futuristic AI. Like, I, I was really going hard on thinking that it was a technology thing, but we'll find out that it's not. Right. I actually like that. That would have been kind of cool. I know, right? But I, didn't <laughs> they, isn't that how they did Ender's Game? It was all a I simulation was just say, and then it reset. Like an Ender's Game. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, we find out. So we get introduced to J-Squad again. Um, and this time he's just like, really just kind of guessing it's it's really funny because we jump right almost to the helicopter again of them hanging there and one guy makes a comment like hey there's something wrong with this suit and another one goes yeah there's a dead guy in it and cage kind of like finishes the sentence for him or at least under his breath because he kind of realizes that like everything's sort of happening all over again um right and so after he, he still eats shit on this drop But, I mean, there's lots of small details that we're going to miss just because there's so much happening. But, like, in the previous version of this day, he watched the the larger guy in the tank outfit, right, with more armor. What's his name again? Yeah. I think it's, like, Gibble, if I'm not mistaken. That could be right. So, so Gibble. Yep, or Kimmel. Kimmel, Kimmel. sorry. Yeah, you're right. That sounds more like it. Um, In the previous version of the day, he uh, helicopter crashed into him, so he's flat <laughs> right on top of him. <laughs> and this time, Tom Cruise tries to uh, Tom Cruise William Cage tries to tell him like, "Hey, get out of the way," and he he doesn't save him. He still gets smashed, but like 
he knows exactly what's going to happen. So he's feeling more and more confident. It is the quote unquote same day. Right. And then this is kind of, that was, that's kind of like a brushed over scene, but I think it's kind of important because it's like the first time where Cage kind of like attempts to like change something. Right. He, he does end up changing something here 30 seconds later, which we're going to get to, but I think that's sort of important and like you said, we may brush over a lot of these little nuances just because there's, this is this is a lot to digest, and and we end up reliving this with him quite often, as we'll we'll talk about. But yeah, like I think it's the first time where he truly tries to like change, you know, the scenario from the first time. So I, I as much as it's kind of quick, I think it is an important scene to talk about. So, but anyway, I agree. It also kind of develops yeah. the character a little bit. He immediately is trying to look out for someone else. Which yes. I, I think is an important character trait that, like you said, is a little bit glossed over. Right, right. But anyway, so we move further on the beach and we see Rita fighting again. Um, this time, after she slices the one mimic, Cage jumps in front of her or pushes her out of the way and he gets shot this time from the bullet that killed her the first time. Um, and this is kind of like a funny little scenario. Like she gets up and she starts just taking... Yeah, his he's taking ammo and a battery pack right <laughs> off of his dying yeah. body. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, are you, did you just take my battery packs? And she says something like, you have a hole in your chest or something. <laughs> yeah. It, Pretty funny. And what annoyed me about that is like, it didn't like pan fully down to show you the, the wound. Because honestly, like, right. I was not 100% sure that he had gotten shot. Right. So like, they needed to show it to me but I, I think they only showed part of it or something, and I was annoyed by that. Exactly, and it also shows, like, what we were talking about earlier is that these these suits are certainly not indestructible. Yeah, because it's, like, they may right make through you... the middle of his chest, like, right through his sternum. Yeah, exactly. And there's no armor there. Um, I just, I still can't believe it. I know. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Um, but anyway, so he's kind of laying there, and she takes off with his ammo and battery pack, and a mimic just pops up and kills him quick. So he wakes up again, this time back at the beach, or at the, not the beach, the... The hangar, the, the camp. Dock. Yeah. Um, and he kind of runs up to Farrell now, before Farrell can start their interaction where he normally would. Um, and he starts reading off all this info that he should not know about Farrell. Yeah, like he knows where, where the notice is saying he's a deserter, in which pocket it's in, what it'll say... And quoting some of the things he's going to say to him. He goes full-on crazy future guy. Right. And I think we just jump to a scene of them then just dragging his body into J-Squad while Farrell just reluctantly keeps giving the same <laughs> speech that he does over and over again. It's just a funny, just Bill Paxton in this movie just cracks me up. He doesn't have to do much for acting. He's just pretty generic. But the way he just keeps his just stoic, like, tone the entire time even though Farrell's just like frantically like psychopathically just you know reading the future to him mm -hmm. but he just doesn't believe it and just continues on his way I just I just think it's funny um yeah go ahead if you oh no I was just gonna say and like from here we go on what what would you say a 20 minute montage of him flashing through additional days yes at least because we jump from them dragging him there, and then he's just on the helicopter, duct taped because he's just Over rambling mouth, on yeah. and on. Yes, and he just yeah, they start dropping in over and over again, and he just 
he really just dies. Right. He, he tries to change some things, though, but it's this is played purely for comedic effect. First time I note, he drops. He doesn't eat shit. He saves Kimmel, but then the helicopter crashes on him. Yeah. Next time, he saves Kimmel, doesn't die, but then he's running up the beach and gets hit by, hit by a car. <laughs> like, yeah. it, it, it's like a cartoon. Like, it, the car just comes, like, literally perpendicular to the camera and flattens him across the screen. It, it, it was funny. Um, yeah. Next time, he misses the car, and, and he saves the, um, he, what's her name? Rita. And yep. finally, like, this is when... He he saves her from her helicopter exploding, right? And yep. he then explains to her that he's living the same day over again. For some reason, she recognizes this and says, come find me tomorrow. And then I believe she shoots him. I think he, yes, well, he saves her and they're standing outside. Um, the plane's about to blow up. And he knows it's gonna blow up. That's why he's like telling her to get away, because he's because she kind of recognizes that he had been there before, and she somehow, like you said, knows. For some reason, this, this. is not a surprise to her. Right, and that kind of threw me off. Definitely, the first time I saw him, like, well, how the hell would she know? And so she kind of just throws her sword down and lets the thing blow up, and they both die. Right. But she told him to find her when he wakes up. So now we're kind of like getting into the meat of this movie. Like so far, the first half hour has just been Tom Cruise like being crazy and just dying a lot. But now it's finally seems we have some sort of direction and he and Cage finally has some sort of direction versus just kind of reliving the same day over again. Right. So now they flash to him meeting J squad right away. And one of the things that we don't mention at all, because we've seen it 50 times, it feels like, throughout the first half hour of this movie, is after he meets J-Squad, there's always someone shouting that PT is next on the schedule. So Cage predicts this, and next thing, they're running along the docks, you know, jogging or whatever. And they're running and running, and some of the other soldiers from J-Squad are getting mouthy with each other. And finally, Sarge Farrell says, hey, stop with all the grab ass. And Cage says, hey, Sarge, why don't you grab my ass? <laughs> yeah. And I think, obviously, so now, at this point, he's trying to cause some sort of distraction. So they're supposed to all drop down and do 50 push-ups. So in the background, we kind of see Cage doing his push-ups, and there's a truck coming. And so he tries to, in the middle of his push-ups, roll under the truck to, to get to the other side and try to sneak past Sergeant Farrell, and he just gets completely run over. Yeah, I, I imagine, <laughs> again, like the cartoons, I imagine him on his back because he's halfway through his roll, arms and legs wide, and it literally goes right up his middle and squishes his head. That's <laughs> my imagining flat. of it, because they don't show you. I was so annoyed. No, it is. And it's just Farrell just, like, turns and his reaction is just great. He's just like, boy, what in the hell were you trying to do? <laughs> it's just hilarious. But anyway, so he obviously died. He wakes back up. We jump back to kind of another push-up scene because he's, he's just going through the cycles over and over again. And this time when he rolls, he makes it past the truck. And he runs down and he goes and tries to find Rita, who is 
what would you call it? She's like meditating. Yeah, she's stretching. like balancing <laughs> on her hands and toes, like planking almost inside, like or down range of like a shooting range where they have me- mechanized mimics on cables from the ceiling and they're just yeah. flying all around the room so like they're they're for target practice and she's just cool tra- out training there. area yeah actually. it is cool yeah. that's for sure but she's yeah she's queen badass she's downrange with no concern yeah with no armor on or anything mm-hmm. she's just hanging out out there um but cage runs up to her and she's pretty rude to him because obviously she's never met him before um and says something like how are you allowed to speak to me? And Cage immediately just tries to explain, like, you did tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's a really funny scene, kind of. It is, because you don't... I thought that piece of dialogue was actually relatively good, because, like, how do you explain to someone off the cuff that you meet them in the future, right? Like, I I thought it was great, because I feel like I would have reacted the same way. Right. So she... She's not dumb, and, like, we kind of now realize that she, why she would have told him that in the beginning. Um, She realizes what he might have, um, and they go and meet this Dr. Carter, who is played by Noah Taylor, and I just made a, for anybody who watched Game of Thrones, Noah Taylor, he plays the guy who cuts off Jamie Lannister's hand in Game of Thrones. I recognize it <laughs> now I, that you say that. I knew I yeah. recognized him from somewhere, I just didn't know where. <laughs> That's why it's the only other thing I've ever seen him in is this in Game of Thrones. So, I, like, when I saw him, I'm like, oh, my God, that's the guy that cut off Jamie Lannister's hand. Um, right. But anyway. And here yeah. we get, like, b- before they even meet the doctor, like, 30 seconds before, she explains to him, like, did you kill one of the blue ones? We call him an alpha. So the blue mimics are called alphas. And did you get its blood on you? And that's apparently what's causing him to be traveling through time so to speak is because he has the because he killed the alpha and because its blood got on him he's now being reset each time he dies she apparently had this previously but somehow it wore off and so i don't know if she if this is this initial meeting where she talks about how she lost it she doesn't um, they, they wait for forever and they don't explain how she lost it so i i was a little bit like confused by that because i was like that's the first thing you tell me when i have this fancy time travel ability is how it goes away right how it goes away don't leave me hanging and the audience for half the movie um but anyway yes they meet this dr carter who pulls up this whole sort of like science project sort of you know display and all this right it it can't be a futuristic movie without a hologram Right, and they kind of talk about how these mimics are basically, I don't know if they use this quote, but it's the best way I could describe it. It's almost like a hive. Yeah, it's exactly like a hive. mentality. Yes, Um, and they're all controlled by this one thing called the Omega, and these are all just little bits and pieces of this Omega, and and once it, like, learns, so these alphas have the ability to reset the day, and Cage got it when he killed one. So that's how the mimics have been like winning the war is they've been able to know what's what the humans are going to do, you know, before, you know, they learn, you know, they die every day and and reset the day. Right. This isn't explained super well, but like when they show up on the beach, it's a massacre. Like the humans are getting destroyed. 
However, like right. there are a few random pieces of dialogue, mostly from the general, I believe, early on, that this is a surprise attack. The mimics are not supposed to know that the humans are coming and they're supposed to like railroad them because they have this new technology or whatever the jackets are. Granted, yeah. I believe Rita had the jacket when she was doing her first mission in Verdun, which we'll talk about in a bit, I think. So that is kind of like this time travel or time resetting element explains why they're getting destroyed at the beach. But like, there's really no indication that there's a reason why, or that it's weird that they're getting destroyed on the beach because again, the military thought it was going to be a cakewalk. Right. And so I think Rita had one. And then they, the whole purpose of this last sort of, I can't remember what they call it, Operation, um, ooh, yeah, I didn't it. write that It's got down. some like, yeah, but anyway, it's like their last sort of push, and it's supposed to be a surprise attack, but like, like you said, I think it's because these jackets were now all readily available, it makes anyone sort of a super soldier, mm-hmm. so they were able to kind of muster a much larger army with the help of these suits and they were going to surprise attack. But yeah, like you said, when we first land on the beach, even the first time there's just, it's not a surprise attack at all. They're getting absolutely destroyed. Um, and now we finally kind of know why is they've, these, these mimics are able to sort of control time and able to learn from their mistakes. Um, but anyway, Cage kind of asks like what he can do to help or what he's supposed to do, and Rita just says, "You have to die every day." <laughs> yeah, and, and until they get out to the Omega and kill the Omega, and in theory, right. that is going to cripple the enemies. You know, they because again, it's like explained as like a hive mind that they, in theory, won't be able to think collectively anymore. Yep. So we then get like a long montage and there's just a couple notes in here that i think are funny of her training him back at this uh at the shooting range gallery at the thing. shooting range where we met her so like thank god we don't have to like see it every time but can you imagine like cage has to die but then literally go through all of the trouble we were introduced for him to meet her in the first place every single day yeah i'm really glad they did not make the decision <laughs> to like really aggressively show. show you the whole process every time because that would have right. really hurt the movie and obviously would have made yeah. it like a 45 hour movie because you know it, it that first day we see of him is like half an hour in movie time like if they were going to show it as many times as he actually dies like it would be a lot yeah and it's like it's a good job of just like i like the editing because like parts where like he, the last time he died I like how it would pick up then, like, in his next life, like, his next move. I thought that was cool, like, where he would, like, learn Yeah, from where that. it would show him taking the step to avoid getting killed or getting hurt. Right, right. So I thought that was done pretty well. And it's just a couple funny scenes of um, Rita, Emily Blunt, just, like, walking up to his, like, paralyzed body after being smoked by one of those, like, metal claw mimic mm-hmm. things and just shooting him in the head. Yeah, he, he's like, I can only feel my lips, and she just blows him away. <laughs> There's another one where he gets tagged a little bit and he's crawling away and she's like, nope, I'm good. Are, I'm are good. you hurt? And he says, no, I'm good. Your leg's broken. Nope. I can power through it. And she then kills him. And it's, it's good interaction, good characterization, because in theory, he's going through the pain of being shot or killed each time. Right. 
Yes. And I have here, there's another good exchange at, at one of these days because you lose track very, very quickly. Um, he asks her to pause with the training and he says, have you ever tried to pass it on? And she says, you mean sex? Yeah, I tried it. <laughs> His response is, how many times? <laughs> so good. And she just makes one of those claws come and kill her. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> that's her reaction to it. It's it's great. It shows, I love her character in this so much because, like, she's not just your typical, like, this is going to sound, it's, she's not like a damsel at all. Agreed. She's like an actual badass like woman. And you, and you believe it though. Like sometimes they try to make like some women, and this is not a knock on them at all in, in action movies, but sometimes they just, they try too hard or like their backstories kind of get in the way too much. Like we're introduced to her right away as some full metal bitch going across a bus, like a picture mm-hmm. of her on a bus. And we finally meet her and she doesn't disappoint. Like Agreed. And yeah. One thing I do want to call out, though, is she went on this previous mission. Again, she's called the Angel of Verdun, which is a city. And so we start to see, like you said, every time Cage comes back, he makes an improvement on what he's going to do next, right? He takes an additional step to the left to avoid something that originally smoked him or, like, gets out of the way of a bullet or something. But, like, in theory, the only reason that she's as, like, praised in the military as she is is because she got a do-over every time, right? Right. So, like, I- I'm not saying she's not a badass because she clearly is, but, like, when you have unlimited tries, you always beat the game. That's true. That's a good point. And, we're in- and you know, we're the only ones that know that Cage and that doctor, that this power even exists. Right. Because I think she she goes on about you know earlier how she tried to explain it and they just get labeled as crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. They they institutionalize them in some way too, because that can't be possible. Right. But anyway, so one of the last times here where Cage dies in his training, he finally gets these visions of where the Omega supposedly is. Um, and this is what they were waiting for. They wanted him to die enough times until he saw one of these visions because it, it's apparently the Omega attempting to sort of find him and it would give away its position so they could go and try to kill it. So she kills him once and they finally gets the vision um, and it's in some dam, he thinks, in the mountains in Germany. So... They go back to Dr. Carter, and he tries to explain this to him, and he he's now in charge of trying to find this dam. Um, so now Rita and Cage can finally move back onto the beach to try to start their you know journey to this dam. Right, and so what they do is a, more montaging of like them improving step by step to some degree. There's lots of these sort of very short scenes of montage. Uh, where they just make like an additional again additional step to the right here now you go forward 30 paces and they're literally they pull up on like a whiteboard like football plays to like plan out what they're gonna do um and where do we go from here do we then uh we carter finds where it is right and he tells the two of them yes um I did want to make one note. He, during this whole time when they're drawing up the, you know, the quote unquote plays and like 
kind of like learning all the different steps. Cage has to watch Rita die every time, as many times as he dies. And you can kind of tell. I thought this was pretty subtle. Um, just the the like the the volume of their conversation would fall down, and it would just kind of camera would just pan to like Cage's face, and he kind of just had a blank stare on him. Um, it's you can tell it's kind of like starting to take its toll eventually. How many times he's trying to see quote unquote friend, you know, by now he's met her a thousand times or who knows how many times, um, die over and over again. And I just thought they did a good job of like showing that like take its toll on him throughout this whole time. Agreed. And it also shows that he's getting attached to her. But in theory, she still has only known him for a single day each time, whereas he's known her for a hundred days because he's reset that many times. Whereas she has no attachment to him, but he has an attachment to her. Right, right. And she even told him at one point not to get to know her because it'll only ruin or like blind him probably, which we've seen. But it's I think that would just be too hard. You know, somebody you meet every day and you have to just work with them as hard as you have to for this goal. And just to see them die every day, I think would just be be pretty tough. Um, So I'm not sure. Is this the scene then where Cage um, sees her die? One too many times, I think, for now, and eventually just kind of does something different. He goes to the pub. Yeah, he goes to leaves a the bar. Base. <laughs> and I was like, if this guy's being watched because he's suspected of being a deserter, how does he get access to a motorcycle and then be able to just roam the city? But I don't think we're supposed to ask that question because it doesn't make <laughs> yeah, sense. Yeah, you'd think being labeled as a deserter you'd think yeah his face would probably be up somewhere or at least all of the local like military police or someone would try to be on the lookout for him sneaking into the city or something like that right and so then he goes to this bar he gets a beer and the one thing i thought was interesting is there was a sign on the wall behind him that said no food available It's a super small world building thing that we get no other proof of that there's a food shortage, but I thought it was a little interesting. And then finally, there's a few drunks in the bar arguing about why the mimics are here. And Cage finally just says, like, what what does he end up saying? Like, no one knows why they're here or they're just here to conquer us. Yeah. What's it matter? We're losing yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And so the drunks get upset with him and they're like, well, how do you know? You're here at the bar with us. And he's like, I've been over there many times and I'm usually long dead by now. <laughs> it's just some funny like dialogue that, you know, we would only understand, but it's just him saying it to a bunch of random people at a bar just makes it seem a little more homey. Um, one guy just turns around and calls him a coward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so next thing the power goes out in the bar and like war sirens start going out off so he goes outside and there's a bridge over not the english channel because that's too big but a river in london i think it's technically the thames is what it's called um and the mimics are swimming up the river and as he's standing on the bridge one of them jumps out of the water like a dolphin and just fucking smokes him <laughs> so he resets again yes um so I think this time after him seeing that, because this is the first time that he would have been, that he would have known that the city gets attacked right? Um, while they're all fighting. So I think this kind of like snaps him back into it. He's, he kind of gets back to training almost like with a much with a gusto. more intense purpose. Yeah. Um, we can, we get a scene of him like 
running across that trench where the mimic pops up between J Squad and he's just like lighting them, lighting up mimics left. Yeah, and right. he like <laughs> jumps onto his knees and slides all the way around the trench, smoking it the whole time. It's it's pretty great. Yep. It is pretty badass. And like the J Squad members are like, "Was that the new guy? What the fuck?" Because <laughs> all they know him as, you know, up until this point was just some dimwit. Yeah, the dork who didn't know where so. the safety was. Right. Um, but anyway, we see him and Rita kind of make it now out of the beach, finally, to like a small trailer park. Um, and they're kind of scoping it out from this hill. And Cage tells her they there's two vehicles he hasn't tried, like one car and then a, a van with a trailer attached to it. So he sends Rita to the van and he tries to set up some sort of distraction by the other car because there's like a few mimics hiding in there from previous mm-hmm. excursions, he explains. Um, so they're able to get in. The, she starts the van up. She does not detach <laughs> the the trailer the freaking, like he uh, just told the trailer, her to. Like he just told her to because it'll slow him down. Um, and they're driving down the highway, and a mimic like bursts through the trailer, like through the ground. I think they were in the trailer, is what I finally landed. Maybe, on. right. And so Cage just kind of pops through the roof of the van and just blows it up. So, like, yes, she didn't detach the trailer, and it kind of messed him up a little bit, but it didn't really matter in the end because they just blew the Mimic and the trailer off the hinges anyway. So, you know, like, a little bit of, you know, kind of dialogue that didn't really go anywhere. Like, if it would have showed them die at least once, maybe by not unlatching the trailer, that might have added a little more, you know credibility to what he was trying to say right additionally at this point we start to see that they're not necessarily cutting every time they die or like not necessarily even showing their death because like when they pull up to the trailer park he says yes these are the two cars we haven't tried even though this is our first time seeing it it immediately tells us they've been there before and once they blow away the mimics that were in the trailer they continue driving and he mentions to her you don't talk much. And she says she's not a fan. And then they continue to go on to say that they've made it as far as a city called Leon before. So like either they found the working car and the mimics killed them because they didn't know about it. Or they've somehow had a different working car, but for some reason made it to Leon, but then it didn't work out. And, and that was a little bit confusing to me. Like either don't show us that they lived and then died at all rather than like, allowing it to continue and referencing back it made me confused but i had to lean into the fact that like they're assuming that we know that they did this multiple times already right because yeah like i agree because it goes from that whole scene where he's like telling him about the two cars they haven't tried but then it this is all one shot then you know when i say one shot i mean like not a breakup where we see a death it's not a timeline Um, break right they end up at this old farmhouse um it looks like and cage starts to they run out of gas and they have to like get off the road and then their suits run out of battery so now they're walking around completely exposed so cage and rita are now in this like old barn at this farmhouse and he's like stitching her up because she got some sort of wound on her shoulder and um (laughs) rita jokes about how they mu- they're at some sort of dead end, and she just like pulls up the pistol, and she's just like, "We should just reset." And Cage's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Don't shoot me!" Like, it's not that simple. Like, I don't know. I thought that was pretty funny, and it just goes to show you, like, Cage, he's enjoying like these 
quiet moments. Like so much of the, you know, whoever knows how long has this has been going on. He's just been seeing death and her dying over and over again. And to finally get some time, like some peace to actually kind of talk. You can tell he kind of enjoys that. Right. And so once they're patched up, they find a helicopter out back at this farmhouse, right? That appears to be in working order. And they're going to look around for the keys for a few minutes and try and fly away. What gets explained in a little bit is, or not explained, but shown, which I think was even better, is like Cage somehow finds a bag of coffee and makes them some coffee. He knows that she only wants three sugars in her coffee, specifically three sugars. And then she's like, well, have we ever made it out of here before? Because she realizes now that since he knows these things, they've done this before. And he says, no, if we get in that helicopter, no matter how we do it, we always die. So she gets frustrated and pissed at him because he's been holding out on her and apparently had the helicopter keys in his pocket the whole time because he found him previously. Yep. So sure as shit, Rita grabs the keys, jumps in the helicopter, and a mimic immediately, like, because he tells her that there's a couple hiding in certain spots or they're burrowed. And so as soon as she starts up the helicopter, she immediately gets attacked by one. Um, and she crashes into the barn and Cage is able to get his his gun and destroy or kill the mimic. But he goes up to Rita and she is she's dying. She crashed the helicopter. And um, it's a pretty sad scene because um, he she ends up telling him her middle name as she's dying, which apparently in a previous life she had said to him that her middle name was Peyton and now she had apparently lied to him and says my middle name is Rose because she's starting again though she can't be getting attached to him because she's only known him for a day but she decides to reveal something of herself in this last dying moment yep so this kind of really set Cage over the edge like he seems pretty defeated um this next couple times or at least this next, I'm assuming it probably took him a few times. We're not really sure, but for the sake of time, they they show him not even go and meet Rita this next time he wakes up. Um, he just sort of is just like a man on a mission. He's like brutally killing mimics now, like with his bare hands. He's like punching them, like just right. crushing them. And, and he's not trying to save anyone anymore. He, you right. still get the scene with Kimmel, and he still gets smashed by the helicopter this time, and he's just going without it. But right. he makes it back. So he, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, yeah, I was just going to say, he ends up making it back to that farmhouse, and he's able to um, draw out the mimics before he gets the helicopter and kill them. Um, and he takes the helicopter solo to the dam that Clark um, had found for them. And he's kind of finally gets there, and he's sneaking around. Um, what's important is he doesn't have his suit now. Because the battery's so, like, if he's, dead. Right, and I don't know how it would work, because that helicopter wasn't that big. I don't know if he could fit in there with that suit anyway, flying it the whole way there. I think he would have had to ditch it, because, like, previously he asked for an extra battery before going on this specific trip. Yes. So, like, it would have gotten him to the helicopter, I think, and enough time to kill the mimics that were hiding there. I think that's what we were supposed to, Right, and then he has to ditch it because he's not going to fit in the helicopter with it. Right. So he shows up to the dam, and he's sneaking around, and he goes to this little sort of opening inside the dam that goes down into, like, this big well, Yeah, it almost looks like. And that's where he had the vision where the Omega was, and it's not there. And he runs into, there's a 
there's a kind of basic mimic that like knocks the gun out of his hand and it's it's kind of just blocking his exit and not killing him which I thought was pretty interesting and then an alpha shows up behind him and this also is kind of just like sparring with him it can tell that Cage wants to like kill himself because he goes to grab a grenade and it like knocks the grenades out of his hand then um, and it's kind of just letting him sit there alive um but it's pretty interesting how they just haven't had the intent to kill him now, which makes you think they kind of know what's going on. Right. And so in theory, what I think they're waiting for is for them to completely beat the humans. That is when they'd finally kill him because they're operating with the same power. They go through a day, they realize what they do wrong, and then they reset back. So in theory, this would give them the ability to work all the way through to their end game beat the humans completely so mimics are the only things left on the planet right as long as that takes right this is taking it out to the nth degree and then they would finally kill him they'd reset and somehow prevent him getting this power right and then run through the day win the war and have earth yep so he's able to kind of crawl under these pipes um and as the the alpha attempts to stop him. It's kind of like breaking some water mains. It looks like, and cage, I think drowns. Right. Um, as this water kind of surrounds him. So he's able to reset. And this time he meets up with Rita and Dr. Carter and tells them that the Omega was not there. Right. So the entire vision was a trap or a mislead, uh, a trick to try and get them to the dam to reveal who has this power for some reason. Because the Omega right. must be able to be aware that someone else is using its fancy power. Yes. So now Carter kind of lets Cage know that he constructed this sort of, <laughs> I don't even know how to explain it, like a prototype sort of device that if you stab it into yourself, or I guess it was intended for an alpha, it would kind of show you where the... Omega was right, essentially, and so we he, have no idea yeah. on why. It, the The explanation around the device is really poor, right? Yes, but we flash to Rita and Cage going, sneaking into the military HQ, and talking to the general again. This is this is we get one of the funniest scenes. Um, so they're talking with General Brigham, and clearly they have been here now many times because he is cage for that matter is just reciting every phone call Brigham gets while they're there. Everything his secretary is going to say to him and like everything that he would say in response to anything cage said this is pretty, you know, and we've seen it before, but I like this because the general is just so serious the whole time and he's finally getting it, getting it played out to himself. So I just thought that was kind of, this funny. is the one, this is the scene where it was best done. I think, right? Yeah. Like, um, because it's done with such precision. Whereas I think some of the previous versions, it was relatively imprecise. So the general finally goes and gives them the device, right? Which was surprising. No one thought he would go along with this. And then he walk he walks over to Rita and says, now we have it. And she's about <laughs> to haul off and shoot the guy. And he says, don't shoot him this time. <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. Because he's like... Now they finally have have it in their hands, and 
she asks him then, well, then what do we do? And he goes, oh, I don't know. We've never, We've never made this it far. this far. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, they walk out of the office and they're immediately um, like apprehended, you know, as they're leaving the building. Yeah, he pulled the so bait Rita, and switch so the military police were waiting for him again. Yep. So they walk out of the building and they're like trying to be arrested and Rita just pulls her gun out and shoots him in the head. <laughs> so then we get a flash to them now in a car. Yeah, so in below. theory they've now made it into a parking garage on their next attempt and they're running away. And yep. she takes the device from him and stabs it right into his leg. And it's like, dude, what would you say? Like two or three inch long spikes in like a hexagon <laughs> and there's like 10 of them. It's not a small thing. <laughs> Right, and for something that's a prototype and not even know if it's going to work on humans, she's just like, but I guess knowing that they can reset the day, what's it going to hurt? Yeah, exactly. You know? They're willing to try anything so long as they know that yep. he dies at the end of the day. Because right. have we been told how she lost the power yet? I think she... Well, even if we might have let it slip, because she's not, she's pretty vague about it. So she might have now in one of these times, but it's by blood transfusion. Right. It's because like the mimic's blood got on or in you somehow the alpha. And so like when she got a transfusion of new blood because she got injured, but not killed. So the military found her and fixed her up is then it pushed the power out of her because there was not enough of her blood left in her yet. So that's why she's always very specific, like about killing him as opposed to like, if he's injured, they're not, she's not going to let him live. Right. So after they stab this in his leg, um, cage kind of goes into this weird trance where he can see where the Omega is. So it works, you know, Dr. Carter's first attempt at a prototype is, is a hit. Yeah. Without any sort of testing. Right. At all. Um, so yeah, he sees that the Omega is in the Louvre in Paris. Yeah, it's um, beneath the big looks... glass pyramid, like underground. Yep, in like an old... Uh, like a parking old, garage. Probably old now. Parking garage, yep. A flooded parking garage, I think they describe it as. Um, so they're in the car. He pulls it out. He tells her, and they're kind of driving away in the car, and they end up being stopped by a soldier in one of the jacket suits. Um, he slams the hood of the car, and they kind of come to a crash and both of them get knocked out. Um, and both have been flash. The, the, the guy in the jacket starts by shooting up the car. So they both right. got tagged a couple of times. Yes. Yeah, so he gets shot in the leg so you can tell he's bleeding. Um, so after they get stopped, we get this kind of jump to him waking up in a hospital bed. And the first thing he looks at is some, he's got a blood bag and there's someone's blood being pumped into him and he knows he's kind of lost the power then. Yeah, for some reason he can like feel it that it's different right. now. So he kind of is strapped in um and he's trying to escape as the nurse leaves the leaves the room and he flips himself over and he's just stuck. Yeah, cuz he's and strapped to the we... table but like there, there's like an arch on the front and the back so like now he's hanging upside down from the table he's strapped <laughs> to. It's a very right, just comical completely look. helpless. <laughs> um so all of a sudden we hear somebody come in the room and these boots come by the bed and he can only see the boots and she leans down, it's Rita, and she's like, it took me three minutes to get out of these restraints. What took you so long or something? So it's a pretty funny little jab at him. Um, and as as soon as she lets him up, 
she immediately whips out her gun and is about to shoot him. And she doesn't yes. realize that this is no longer like happy fun times when she gets to shoot him. Like that's going to ruin everything. Um, and, and so that's when he explains that he's now lost the power. Right. And it's like, the must, it didn't really go into how she knew because like, how would you know for sure? Because if you died, you would just be dead, you know? Right. So it must just be some sort of feeling. Yeah, I mean, when you lose your time travel powers, I feel like you just know. That's right. the explanation. Well, I guess. <laughs> right, which is kind of vague, you know, unfortunately. It's like, because how would you really know for sure without dying and then actually just being dead, you know? Right, it's but like... also if she kills him, like she's never been conscious of them jumping back before right like she doesn't know right. it so it's like th there's no real way to prove it other than his word exactly you know yeah um so yeah he's explaining to her how he just feels like he lost the power um cage then kind of explains to her that they only have one shot now at kind of finding the omega and destroying it um and that they'll need they'll need some soldiers, Jim. Yeah. So who does he go recruit? <laughs> His band of misfits, J Squad. <laughs> it's just great because you can tell they just hate him because he's just been like ditching them every day. Granted, to them it's only a day, but like every day he leaves and they just get punished for it, like push-ups and all sorts of just bitch work, you know? Right. And so um, then he does like it, it's done off screen, but he does the reciting all kinds of weird trivia about someone to one of the members, and then he convinces the rest of them. Right. So they talk about how, well, he may know all these things about him, but they just met him. And why would they follow him into war? Which is why he brought Rita with, who, like we've explained by this point, is known by everyone as, like, you know, the, probably the most famous soldier in, in the army. Um, so they see her referred to as the full metal bitch. <laughs> I think that has got to be one of the best nicknames in a movie I've seen. I like it. And, like, so early on in the movie, it shows it there was a picture of her on the side of a bus because she's like kind of famous right and then someone had spray painted it over like her chest or whatever right like tagged it and then as she's originally suiting up and coming out of like a hangar someone says oh my god that's the full metal bitch and she knees him with her metal jacket thing right in the crotch <laughs> and i'm like that's yes. the perfect mood i want from this movie right there like right really tongue-in-cheek you know a little bit of funny lots of action really badass um yes but honestly that didn't hold for much of the movie i think th there were just a few moments of that right um so anyway we kind of jump ahead here to pharaoh doing his rundown trying to get the troops ready to go storm the beach and he hits j squad's room and none of them are there <laughs> so this is like i'm a little confused now because it jumps that looks like it's in the middle of the day and then it jumps to them flying that drop ship. Like, and it's like night. Yeah. This is a again. little weird because like he goes to get them in the evening and he says, we need to bypass being on the beach. So they hijack right. a helicopter in the middle of the night and fly over for whatever reason. They still flash to show the Sergeant the next morning doing roll right. call and so like that doesn't quite make sense because i don't it, it's still night when they're fighting so it it, it doesn't 100 percent make sense because they shouldn't right. have gotten that far in the timeline 
Right. So, yeah. So, like, is them finally rolling into Paris where it looks like it's night again? Is that supposed to be, like, early, early morning? Or is that the next evening? Because, yeah, I don't... I think it's still the same night. I think it's the night before the invasion. Still. Okay. Still. Which, yes, like you said, doesn't... I mean, it's almost... It's a funny scene to show Pharaoh, like, lose his squad. But, like, again, it's kind of unnecessary. Because it, like, kind of confuses you on where you are time-wise right yeah um so anyway yes they're flying the dropship into paris um they are attacked like almost immediately as soon as they can kind of see the 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 pyramid of the louvre off in the distance um tons of mimics shooting at the at the dropship and it crashes it's a little confusing to see what's going on or like who perishes because it's just pretty dark. Right. And, like... and and again, we don't know the J squad characters because we've only seen them in passing. What I thought was right. strange was he tells all of J squad and Rita to drop out of the ship. But then for whatever reason, he specifically doesn't drop. He waits until the ship is completely shot down and drops out into some water because Paris is flooded for again, unknown reason. And right. allows himself to sink to the bottom of the water before taking off his jacket and then swimming back to the top. So, specifically abandons his armor and does not try to save himself from the crash. Because all of this appears yeah. to be on purpose. Which doesn't make sense because they don't get any more resets. Right. And I don't know if it's just him trying to be some sort of distraction. But at this point, like the ship's already going down and everybody's dropped out already. It's like, I don't know what you're going to bring all the mimics to you because why, you know, I don't know. It's, it really doesn't make too much sense. Um, but like, it's funny how before, you know, he's telling J squad that they can't kill any of the alphas because it'll reset the day. I just thought that there, some of their reactions were funny. Like, so if one of them's about to kill me, I'm not supposed to do anything about it. It's like, and he yeah, says, "You take, take one, one for, for the, the team." team. <laughs> it's just a pretty harsh reality of this whole mission. You know, they are able to get these guys to follow them and tell them that they can't even kill some of the enemies. But anyway, so they crash, and like he gets up and he's able to meet up with some of the survivors. Um, yeah, who were just hanging out in the middle of the open by the crashed helicopter. Right. right? They're just so it's, sitting there. And it's just Rita and I think three other members of J-Squad, I think, are left. Yeah, so there's the guy who plays was... Cyborg um, in yep. Justice League. And two others. Two others. And I hate to leave them hanging because they're... I think it's... Skinner and Griff, I believe, are the last. I do two believe guys. they reference Griff, but like, yeah. this to me was one of the failings of the movie. Other than because I had seen um, uh, Franz Drama, I believe his name is, in Justice League, I had no idea who any of the members of J Squad were. They were all one hundred percent interchangeable, other than Kimmel, because you see him get smushed by a helicopter multiple times, right? So it's like, right. None of the rest of them are special in any way. They don't do anything necessarily, yes, to set themselves apart for some sort of remembrance, like you said, other than Kimmel. Um, but anyway, they're now their plan is to now fire up this dropship that's just crashed um, and sort of without 
propelling it into the air, they're going to fly it across the surface of the water or the ground straight into the the pyramid. That's exactly what they're um, going to do. <laughs> sounds like a great plan on paper, I guess. Um, but they're being heavily attacked. Um, they can see tons of mimics coming. So two, I believe Skinner and Griff, um, stay back and kind of try to create some sort of diversion to help them so they can get off the ground for lack of a better term, with the dropship and get going. Um, and they blow up this big, like, oil tanker, and it takes out probably, like, 10 or 15 Mimics, but there's still, like, hundreds coming. Right. <laughs> so it doesn't seem to really help at all. Yeah, and so now they're skimming the thing across the water, and Ford is, like, hung by the shoulders in, like, a bigger jacket thing. So he's got two bigger guns on his arms, and he's hanging out the side of the helicopter, like, just unloading on the mimics that are chasing them right and so he's taken out a few but unfortunately i think one shot or something comes up and flies up and knocks him out so i think it's just eventually down to rita and ford which rita and, or rita cage. and cage sorry yeah and it's like you know as much as it pains me to say it's like here we like the last three characters of j squad get like five extra minutes of screen time and are just immediately killed off right the best thing that happens after this is cage goes and gets in the thing that's hanging out from one of the wings so now he's unloading on the mimics behind them and uh rita is quote-unquote flying or skimming the helicopter across the water before they come to one of those really fancy arches that they have in paris and yeah. it literally shears off both the wings of the helicopter, including Cage. Like, he is now left behind and somehow not dead. Somehow. He's, like, dangling. Because this is when they're pretty close to crashing into the actual Yeah, they're pyramid, very near not? the pyramid at this point. Yeah, so he, like, gets, like, swung around on one of these busted-off wings... And, like, he's flying through the air, and then the dropship or helicopter crashes into the pyramid, and he, like, flies in behind it and, like, just rolls through onto the ground and pavement. It's, like, pretty pretty lucky he's not wearing any sort of, you know, armor you know, suit whatsoever. or anything. Yeah, and Rita right. is in there now, too, because it goes in nose first. And the one thing that's even more lucky is somehow all the cement after they go through the pyramid, or, like, the glass pyramid, and then now they're into the parking garage— all the cement above them seals off the mimics that are above, but somehow does not fall and crush them. <laughs> Very opportunistic, I tell you what. Um, so yeah, they get pretty lucky there. They're they're blocked off from the mimics that were chasing them in the ship, and they kind of crawl down into the parking ramp, which Cage saw when he injected himself with that. I don't. I'm just gonna call it the device. Yeah, no, th Carter's, there's no name. Carter's given to device. It. Yeah. Um, and so they're kind of crawling down to the flooded um, parking garage where they saw the Omega, and there is a Alpha blocking it. And we get kind of like a pretty sad, but like a culmination of, you know, it's so hard to describe because she obviously resets every day, but he has built this relationship with her. But it's, it, I guess... By him explaining everything, it kind of brings her up to speed a little bit. But, like, it's almost like the culmination of their relationship, even though it's very one-sided at this point. Like, yeah, this is kind of like, meets, it's the sci-fi yeah. version of 41st Dates. Right. You know, um, because, like, so, Adam Sandler is always in love with Drew Barrymore, but Drew Barrymore forgets everything every night. Right? So he right. puts the video together and tells her about how they're so great together. 
Yes, that's essentially what it is. Jim. That's exactly what it is. Very nice. But so she, she um, then says to him, "Yeah, go ahead. Thank you for getting me this far. You're a good man, Cage. I wish I'd had the chance to know you better." Which underscores what we've been talking about. She truly doesn't know him. And then uh, th- they kiss because there needs to be a little bit of romance. And she goes right. off to distract the alpha. So Cage is equipped with like a sh- he's got a like pump a shotgun. Yep, a pump shotgun and I think like six grenades mm-hmm. on like a on like a belt. Um, and so Rita runs off and she's kind of distracting the 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 alpha. And Cage kind of makes his way for this big hole in the ground that's flooded, and he's gonna dive down to the Omega. And we get like a pretty just brutal scene where Rita just gets killed. <laughs> like he makes it, Cage makes it to the water, and he turns and looks, and the Alpha's just like tearing her apart right and once he's in the water the alpha then comes up to the edge and you see this because the the viewer is now underneath him looking up at cage and you see the alpha come up behind him and one of the tentacles like snakes down and stabs him right through the chest um pretty a cool shot actually i like how they did it from below like him diving down and you can see everything behind him you know that was pretty neat but yeah he's impaled and dead and he like you see like the grenades like fall out of his hand as he kind of like loses life. Um, the alpha of then course, pulls him out of the water, and his hand falls open, and he's holding all the pins for the grenades. Tip, typical action hero guy right. got him off. Um, so yeah, the grenades fall down into the whatever this is omega like the, the brain the, the bulb of the omega, um, and they blow up. The explosion kind of sends like a pulsating like like almost like a what would look like a nuclear explosion but not as just the shock drastic wave. just the just shock the shock wave, wave. right yeah and all the other mimics just fall dead so like they took the most aggressive approach to a hive mind is that they literally cannot go on without the omega right and so we kind of get that scene that goes across at least outside of them um and like in paris the mimics outside kind of all fall over and Cage is now like floating, which he fell back in the body... water. I think I, I'm not 100 yeah. percent clear on it, but like I'm not sure how his body would just get like ripped to shreds. But in theory, right? Anyway. But this yeah. is an action movie. If uh, right, if my mom were watching, she'd call it a yeah right movie. <laughs> those she hated watching those. She grew up with me, my brother, and my dad, who all love action movies, and she just couldn't stand yes. them. Oh, you gotta you gotta be able to like forget about some sort of thing. Suspension you, of disbelief, like right? This. Right. Um, so yeah, he falls back into the water and he's kind of like going down to where the omega was, like or what's left of it. And you can see him sort of, kind of what happens when he killed the alpha, but he gets kind of like wrapped up, like it oozes like, or bubbles up onto him somehow, right? Yeah. And it like kind of sticks to him, and you can see his eyes like kind of turn black, and then he just wakes up. And we're like, huh. But this time he's not on the base. He's two days prior, right? Two days prior in the helicopter before he met the general the first time. Right. Flash to a news scene where um, where the general is on the news saying, late last night we saw a pulse of energy come out from Paris. We believe that the mimics are completely dead. Uh, all fronts are advancing with no resistance. When... They did this, it obviously, like, happened differently, or at a different time for, 
item one house to say right. it's like the normal timeline. It's kind of confusing. So so let me say this because I think I have the explanation here. The mimics started with the time travel ability, right? They start the day and like again, it's a surprise. This is the first time the invasion is happening ever for any characters. So what I think is no, but it's not because it's the night before. What I was going to say is that the invasion steamrolled them, killed the Omega on the first try, right? Because it was a surprise. Right. And then that's when the Omega resets and takes us back, right? Because now they know it's coming. But that's not yeah. accurate either because what the general is saying is that they didn't even invade, right? The mimics just fell yeah. dead of their own accord. So I don't really have an explanation. So I'll call it a plot. And level. I think, yeah. And I think that's part of the stuff that kind of drags it down but we'll get to re- scores and stuff afterwards but um but anyway yeah it's he kind of just cage kind of just watches the newsreel from a from a distance um and he kind of then you know sits back and he remembers everything that happened but he knows now he's about two days ahead of where he normally would be um so he then goes to see rita at the firing range again still alive yep she's back at her firing range he just walks up to her and she gives she gives him the old sassy you know do i got something on my face soldier like sort of response um she does not remember him that we know of uh but yeah he just kind of smiles and cue the music for the for the credits yeah bad ending <laughs> you didn't i like was it? so pissed i'm like that's so dumb like, just well, leave it be it's... because she doesn't know him. Right. So is he just going to, like, try to explain to her? Well, I guess he could just now explain all of it, though, because at this point, she would still... She still has the knowledge still because had... it happened to her. Yeah, right. Or she she knows that this is possible because she got the time travel ability or the day resetting ability. Right. But she didn't live through any of it. Whereas, like... no. On the last try, when they finally beat the Omega, like, they've gone through a whole 24 hours together, or 24 hours of war and fighting alongside each other. So, like, emotions get accelerated, it feels like, and they, you know, have feelings for each other at this point. Whereas now, yeah. he's going to tell her what happened, and she's just going to be like, okay, and walk away from him. And he's going to sit there really sad because his girlfriend doesn't care anymore. <laughs> yeah, is he just expecting that as soon as he just explains everything to her, they'll just be like right back emotionally connected where they finished, you know, cause she has to spend all that time with him again. You know, it's not just him. It's different. Like you said, spending 24 actual hours with somebody versus this guy just giving her a 20 minute rundown of what, of happened, what happened in, hours. in those. Yeah. You're not making up time there. She's not just going to immediately fall in love with you again. So yeah, that's a good point. Um, but yeah, that pretty much sums up our, discussion of edge of tomorrow um which brings us to the scores jim i will let you go first i gave this movie a five out of ten get i had a lot of fun with it which was the most redeeming quality but to be honest all of the montaging made me feel bored for a lot of the beginning and there are some unexplained plot holes that just really can't be explained away and that bothered me too much Whereas otherwise, this entire movie is very much so up my alley. Like, aliens, sci-fi, time travel, or day resetting, however you want to refer to it. All things I like, but not executed in the best way. Fair enough. I gave the movie initially an 8. 
and I'm pulling a Scott here. If I could, we don't do partial points. I'm going to move it down to a seven just because I like this discussion. You brought up a lot of things. There is quite a few plot holes that like I might have just been blinded to because I like the big explosions sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just the performances by Cruz and Blunt especially are really good. And like I said, this is like one of my favorite Bill Paxton movies <laughs> just because he plays great Farrell. Um, and I think like the unintentional comedy like the subtle comedy like her just like shooting him i think that's done really well it's like some stuff like him being hit by the truck or like the comedic you know they overdo it a few times right that kind of like the feral scene where he sees j squad gone that kind of just it pushed it one all that did you know right all that did was just kind of confuse me on where we actually were when we go back to j squad and it's like well is this after this or is this still the night before so again like sometimes like that it it kind of you know muddies the water a little bit and and an already kind of confusing movie where you have to pay attention to what's going on so i think that kind of hurts itself but other than that i truly surprised it's a great action movie that i think came out of nowhere back in 2014 like i remember reading a lot of reviews around that time and it's like this could be like the sneaky you know, number one blockbuster of the year. Like it was really like flew under the radar, you know, until it came out. And I, you know, I thought it, it it was a really fun, you know, different kind of action movie. So I gave it a seven out of 10. Well, let me say this. I absolutely would watch this movie again, right? Like my, my rating versus whether or not I'll watch it again are two separate sort of indicators. Like a five out of 10 is still a perfectly watchable movie to me if I had fun, but it's right it fails in some areas that I'm, I'm willing to overlook because I had fun to watch it again, but also I can't say it's my favorite movie in the world. Well, that kind of wraps us up. Um, do you have anything else, Jim, for us? What's coming up? I have our two next movies for episode 13. We are going to be reviewing the 2009 Friday, the 13th, uh, starring, uh, Jared Padalecki and, uh, Danielle Panabaker from, the fame of Supernatural, Sky High, and The Flash, I believe is what Danielle Panabaker's in. So, real high I, caliber here. I don't want to spoil anything. But that, <laughs> I've seen that movie a few times. I That's probably going to be... That movie holds a dear place lowest, in my heart. Might, might be my lowest score of the series, <laughs> though. But, yeah, who knows? I could have a different opinion now. I, I think, I think we're going to come times. down with, like... Not to telegraph too much, but it's bad, but it's fun, you know? Yeah, well, exactly, you know. And then we're going to go really high class for episode 14. Quentin Tarantino's, uh, or Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood should be a good run. It's my first time watching it. I've seriously gotten so much from you and Scott talking about it that I just, (laughs) I finally need to sit down and watch this movie. Well, it's like one of those things where I hope it's not overkill, you know, I don't want to hype it up. I, I'll i save a lot of my thoughts about it for that podcast. Um, and I'm sure we'll probably get into Tarantino rankings and stuff. But this movie climbed... It climbed farther up his list of movies each time I watched it. I don't know. I just felt more attached to it. Um, each time through. Just seeing... Yeah, just seeing <laughs> Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio in a movie together is just like... It just makes me feel good, man. Yeah. It's a good time. And I think their buddiness is what's really going to sell me for it if I'm there for it. So I'm looking forward to it. So I'll round us out by saying you can follow us on our Twitter at weave underscore scene underscore that. Again, that's 
scene spelled s-c-e-n-e you can like us on facebook or email us at seenthatpodcast at gmail.com and once scott is back in the office so to speak we'll get him your shout outs <laughs> absolutely well perfect thank you guys so much for listening to jim and i um we can't wait for next week and to get the three of us back together but once again thanks for listening to the we've seen that podcast i'm anthony i'm jim and roll credits <laughs>